spend a little bit of time on what you need to fix when you get better, but don't overly focus on that and try to get in your mind over and over again, your successes. And so that story that he told me, and you know, really shifted my career trajectory from being a kicker who could only kick far, who now one who, who could kick straight and who could get over very quickly or quicker. Like when I made mistakes, that's eventually what got me some uh, uh, interest in NFL teams. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, innovation, careers, the NFL sometimes, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, and it's the middle of July as the Olympics are starting in 2021. And my co-host, Tom Richardson, is taking a week off. So I'm going to do this one solo. And today we're going to talk about career pivots. Um, the unique path that we get put on, sometimes the things that are thrust at us that we don't know about, uh, learning from loss, but also staying kind of um, on the path to figuring out how we can achieve dogged success through grit. Because our guest today is Sean Conley. Sean, if you found him today, would be an elite yoga instructor to classes big and small in his current hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But how he got to be a yoga instructor came from something he did with his foot, namely kicking. Uh, and the career that he was on and the vision that he had, how he may have fallen just a little bit short, but the lessons that were learned along the way. And he's got a book out called The Point After, uh, which talks all about that journey and to where he is today being uh, quite a yoga instructor and how that factors into mental health. So, Sean, welcome to The Cusp Show. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe. I'm pretty excited to be here. Cool. So um, we've had several um, former NFL players on, Andrew Hawkins, a couple of other guys over the years. Um, we've had several Pitt graduates on, as I had mentioned to you, um, Pat Cavanaugh being one, our faculty member Michael Newman being another. Uh, you are, I think, probably the third. Maybe there's been another Pitt graduate. But your path to the University of Pittsburgh and then beyond into three tryouts with the NFL, playing overseas with the Scottish Claymores, uh, and then ultimately into a career which you probably didn't see coming uh, as um, leading a, a very successful yoga business and talking about health and wellness and mind mindfulness uh, is a unique one. So can you walk everybody through, the people who may not know the book or the story, uh, from you know this vision you had as a younger person in Erie, Pennsylvania, through Pitt, and then eventually to the NFL? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Erie is a, uh, it, it's a, it's a pretty gritty town and sports has always been, uh, you know, one of the, one of the big things like when you, you know, growing up there in the eighties, you know, that's what you did. You played football, you played baseball and, you know, the, the, the high school games were packed. And so, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have like a dream of playing professional sports. You know, my, my, my father was a, uh, he was actually drafted by the, uh, the pirates back in the sixties, but back in the sixties, you made more money. If you, if you joined the, uh, the army, than uh, than played, uh, single a baseball so that he, he ended up joining the, uh, joining the army, but it was just something that I just, just always wanted to do. Um, you know, because I played different sports, um, you know, I, th I think that's, that's what helped me, uh, you know, become more well-rounded and, and not, and eventually not, not just a kicker. I think, you know, playing different sports helped me have, uh, different skills, but also like help me mentally. But, um, 
what eventually happened when I got to high school, um, you know, I essentially got uh, like afraid of, 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 of going division one. So I decided to play it very conservatively and uh, uh, decided to go to division three, three route to, uh, to Grove city. And this is back in the day when, you know, nowadays kids go visit dozens of different schools. And I, I just looked up a, like <laughs> my parents didn't let me go to school more than two hours away from home. You just had to look through the, uh, what is it, the Peterson's guide to college and just uh, picked one and uh, ended up going to Grove City College. But on the first day for, for, for football camp, the coach actually told me he didn't need me and he already had a kicker. So uh, long story short, I ended up going to Gannon, which is a brand new football team. And so they just invited whoever wanted to play. If you're a body, you're on the team. But uh, it, it was like the perfect setup for me because I got experience. But I was I, I, looking back now, I was like the, the, uh, the happy Gilmore of kickers. You know, I could kick the ball. Uh, like like a country mile, so to speak, but like I couldn't kick, kick it straight. So luckily, um, you know, I, I still pushed on and my, my dream was always to play division one. I, I ended up going to University of Pittsburgh and there I got really lucky where um, I met a coach. Uh, his name's Amos Jones, who's actually still in the NFL today. He He's an assistant coach with the uh, with the Giants who just helped me with my mental game. Uh, what really helped is one day he told me this story. Um he used to coach for bear Bryant, bear Bryant, what he would do after the games, when they, he'd bring the team into the video room, they would, they, they would spend just a little bit of time looking at like the mistakes they made in the game and where they need to get better. But then they'd spend the rest of the video room or the video session, just watching all their successful plays. And he said, that was always his mentality. Spend a little bit of time on what you need to fix, what get better, but don't, don't overly focus on that and try to get in your mind over and over again, your successes. And so that story that he told me, and you know, really shifted my career trajectory from being a kicker who could kick only kick far, who now one who who could kick straight and who could get over very quickly or quicker. Like when I made mistakes, that's eventually what got me some uh, uh, interest in NFL teams. So um, tell us a little bit about um, the season you were the kicker at Pitt because you overcame. Talk about overcoming odds. You didn't walk in and, and were handed the job. You had to find your way through it. And then how did that lead you uh, kind of walk us through the end of that season? And then what happened after that in terms of, you know, what you were going to do with a career? Yeah. When I got there, they already had four kickers on, on, on a scholarship and I was just a walk-on. So uh, I, I, and, and there was a couple other walk-ons there too. So I started around seventh on, on the depth chart. Um, and so before all the, the, the transfer rules now, like you had to sit out a full, full season. So I had to sit out and just watch. And then when I started spring ball, uh, I, because of my leg strength, I was able to move up the depth chart all the way to number one for kickoffs immediately after spring ball. But then it took me all the way to fall to move up from seven to six, or actually I moved up to three after spring ball. But then when I went into summer camp is when I finally, uh, you know, got up to first in, in the depth chart. But even, you know, once I, I, I got the starting position, which I found out uh, half an hour before kickoff, uh, Amos Jones let me know I was a starter. Um, the first couple of games, I struggled to the point where if I kicked, if I missed one more kick, that was it. My, my, I was going to sit on the bench. I had, I had a short leash because I had no, no background. And it was more, my bigger, my biggest supporter was Amos, the special teams coach. It, it, it wasn't the head coach. I think he wanted something more, somebody with more experience, but luckily um, I, I made this kick. It was against Rutgers. If I'd have missed it, I've been benched for the rest of the season, but I, but I made it. And then after that, I actually made the next 12 or 13 kicks in a row. And uh, luckily I had some, some scouts for some, some big games uh, in the stadium uh, when we played Notre Dame. And, and eventually I got, 
when the season ended, I had a, had a handful of offers, including the Detroit lions. And that's what I, who I signed with that year. And um, there were, there were times, I guess, which kind of led you to your career today where you had physical problems. You were trying to do things one way. Uh, I think there's a story in the book about, I think it was Gary Anderson, who was a almost hall of fame kicker in the NFL who gave you some advice um, how important was it as you were kind of coming up through that process in college before you even got to the tryouts of the NFL with the, the Lions um, and the Colts and the Jets um, to listen and learn from other people? Because listening is a, a tool that we talk about all the time and sometimes it really gets overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that, that was you know, one of the challenges I had that I, I didn't get much guidance. And, you know, I, when I was uh, eight years old, I was diagnosed with ADD, which turned out to be uh, like my ally at some times, but also the, but also my enemy, because I would, I would train obsessively and I wouldn't really listen to anyone else. I was always, you know, going to push and push and train. And so if I wasn't kicking, I was like, like in the weight room, if I wasn't in the weight room, I was sprinting, um, or, or something, um, always thinking I did, if I did, if I, the more I trained, the better I would get. Um, you know, Gary Anderson was someone that I, I had contact with r- right after my, my pit days. And I asked him, I called him up. I, I got his number from my wife who, who worked out at a, at a, a uh, exercise with his wife at a gym. And I remember calling him up, you know, he told me he doesn't, he did, doesn't train at all during the summer. And it, I was really shocked by this. Cause I always thought like, you know, the more you trained, the better you could get and, you know, uh, every, do everything a hundred percent, you know, you know, rest wasn't something I never really gave much consideration to that just did, just didn't fit into my equation of, of how to get better. Um, but, you know, but turned out it was right. Obviously he had a really long career, but for me, what I found out is because I, I trained so much up to that point and I was, I was only 22 at the time, but you know, my, my body was already starting to break down. And, um, you know, once I started getting these, these NFL tryouts, I wouldn't last very long in, in training camp because I didn't realize that my body, the endurance that, 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 um, the, the lack of endurance I had, but what I discovered was just, just, you know, to, to seek out, you know, veterans like him, you know, veterans, um, you know, who have the experience who not only know how to get better, but also, you know, what, what pitfalls to avoid that can, that can sidetrack your career. Um, so you go, uh, and now you're a college graduate, um, with a future wife who graduated from Fordham. Um, and you're sitting there trying to figure out what to do. So you decide that you want to continue to pursue this dream. Um, what was that like? How long did you realize that you were going to continue to do that? Uh, and tell everybody about some of the sacrifices that you made trying to continue to chase this goal, which, which you came very, very close to with not one, but three teams. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I was, it was, you know, because I, I came so close, there was just, I, I just told myself like, I, I wasn't going to stop trying. And so there was definitely like a lot of benefit from that. Just, you know, just after I was cut by the, uh, the lions, I eventually signed with the Colts and I was cut by the Colts and then the jets. But um, you know, for me, w- when I, when I first signed with Detroit, you know, I just felt like, okay, this is, this is the dream I've always wanted to do. I always envisioned myself being an NFL football player. And so this is, this was who, who, who I am. Like, so I really thought that like, that was my, my full identity, you know, cause I'd spent so many years thinking, you know, if I make the NFL, I'll, my life will be perfect. I'll, you know, have a family and I'll have this make a certain amount of money and a house and a car and everything would be, would be, would, would be perfect. And so like when the whole dream um, uh, fell apart, you know, and when I was with the Jets and, you know, they, they basically told me my leg was shot. 
it, it, it took me a really long time because I, I just, I never really thought about life, life beyond football. And that was, you know, something that I, you know, I see nowadays too, like in athletes when, when they're, they hang on and, and I, you know, fans sometimes start like, Hey, why is this guy doesn't, why is he just hang it up? He's, he's washed up, but you know, in, inside their mind, like it's hard to always hard to say like, what's that actually going on in them. But for, for a lot of them, they, they, they're scared. They, they really don't know what's, what, what's next for them. And, you know, they've prepared their whole life to just to have this long, you know, athletic career would, would, you know, but very few, you know, are lucky enough to have uh, guidance along the way to, to, to look at life beyond that, beyond their sport. Sean, Sean the one chance that um, you had, which you succeeded on. And for, for people who are listening to this, we're still in a period where the XFL is kind of sitting out there. The USFL now is supposedly coming back. There's the spring league, which is a hybrid helped by the NFL. There's, always been this chase of spring football. Um, you were part of probably the grandest experiment um, and most successful experiment outside of the short-lived second version of the XFL, which was destroyed by COVID, not by right. business. Right. Um, playing in, in Europe, uh, funded by the NFL. You actually got an NFL paycheck playing for the Scottish Claymores. What was that like? And how did that kind of advance your, your journey in terms of, of a career? Yeah, that was actually the most fun I had professionally, you know, like the, when I, you know, spent those little, the, the time I did with those NFL teams was very stressful because like the next day, my, my, I'd have to, may have to clear, clear my locker, but, but the world football league was, was a blast because you had players who, who, who were a lot like myself, who just, just wanted to play for the love of it. They weren't really doing it for the money and they just wanted to fulfill that dream of, of playing in the NFL. And so even though the, the pay wasn't great, it, players were just doing it because this is, you know, what, what, what they, what they just love to do. And, and the, 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 the fans there too were also like super appreciative and they were also like really naive to the game too, which was so great. Like, like when we, I remember when we played um, the London Monarchs, they, because they just love soccer and rugby, they would cheer at the wrong time. They would be like, and then the, the loudest cheer was actually like when I'd make like an extra point that was sometimes louder than like, like the touchdown. Um, but there was just a, just like a, like, a, such a, like, like a naive newness, like love of the game, you know, from the fans, but also with the players who just, just wanted to be there. Like, and a lot of players certainly struggled. There was some players who just like, maybe they were like done and they're just hanging on, but the majority of players were like myself who just were just so close and they just like wanted one more chance at, that, 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 uh, you know, it just was for a really positive attitude, you know, throughout the, uh, the locker room and the coaching staff. What was it like to live um, uh, in the UK and try to explain to people there who may not know the game? And now, obviously, the NFL has come reasonably further and will continue to grow internationally. But what was that? What was that experience like when you tried to explain to someone that you were a kicker? Yeah, yeah. Well, they they, they actually were like always like really impressed. Um, I was I was gonna. They always thought that they thought that was like the coolest position. Um, I was going to go back another year for the Scottish Claymores, but what happened was because they wanted to market the game, they had a, um, I forget what his last name, but his Gavin something. He was, it was a rugby star because he would like help fill up the stadium. They, they didn't bring me back and they brought him back because he was his, his rugby star. He only made like maybe one kick <laughs> out of all his tries, but it just didn't matter. They just wanted to, to generate interest, but they did a really good job of every, every team had to have seven, what they called nationals on on the roster so like my my roommate was actually like a sky 
experience. And, uh, you know, we were roommates. That was the first time I ever understood the whole concept of like, like taking a tub. That, that's what my uh, roommate would always do. He'd be like, and he'd always ask me like, or let me know. He's like, Hey, I'm gonna go take a tub now. And he'd go into the, into the bathroom and sit in the tub for like, like an hour. It was, uh, <laughs> so there was little things like that. It was, it was just, you know, for, for, for most of us, like we, like I said, we had never left the country. And so it was a really good, uh, cultural experience. And, and also what they would do too, is like when we'd have a game, they'd also, we'd always spend the night. So, you know, like, like when we played Amsterdam, we spent the night there and after the game, they'd give you cash. They'd give you like, like they, they, I remember they gave us like a hundred guilders to like go out on the night. So you got to play the game and then, everyone would go out and party and hopefully make it on to the bus the next day. <laughs> That's funny. Um, one, one thing before we get to your, your transition at the end of, of your career, um, you know, you were around some pretty impactful names. You know, we had thrown around Barry Sanders and Curtis Martin and, you know, Jim Harbaugh was your holder when you, when you kicked for, for the Colts. Um, Lessons learned from the really successful people, Dan Marino being another one, um, the, the little things that you took from that experience and have helped you in your current career. And then I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to go to camp as a triad, as a, as a free agent as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the two that stick out the most for me was, you know, uh, was Barry Sanders when uh, we had an exhibition game against the Dallas Cowboys. This was part of the same thing to expand into Europe. And so we're playing in London. And so it started off like the first night you'd have, you could stay out till three, then two, then one. So the curfew went down, but every night I'd come back, I'd see Barry Sanders. He's usually like sitting around, like, like he's reading like a little Stephen King paper book in the, in the lobby. But anyways, one night I came in after out in the bars with some of the guys and I just sat down to him. We just started chatting and, um, the conversation shifted, you know, where I talked to him about like, you know, I was you know, a little concerned about like in a few weeks, I might be out of a job and I have to try to catch on with another team. And he, he came out and told me like, Hey, don't forget there's, there's more to life than the NFL. There's more to life mm -hmm. than football, which actually ended up being like the, that's where I got the idea for the subtitle of the, of the book. But anyways, like that, it, it really stuck with me because, you know, like before meeting Barry Sanders and only seeing him on TV and seeing him run like, you know, for 200 yards in a game and, and then he just like seemed superhuman. It, it wasn't something I expected because I just expected you get to the NFL and like that's that's it. And like that's all he cares about is you know eat, drink, and sleep in football. And this was a guy that obviously loved football, but for some you know for some reason he'd already had it figured out where he had you know balance in his life and he already had a plan. And, and then when he retired early, you know that just because that little interaction I had with him, it didn't surprise me. He got out. You know, it certainly had something to do with the with the, the Lions organization at the time, but he he was already ready to move on, you know? So mm -hmm. he, he could have been all time leading rusher and, and he, and he stepped aside. Um, and uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh was great when he, he was my holder with the Colts. And I remember having like a really bad day one day. And he said to me like, Hey, in the NFL, you have to have a short memory. And it was just something that, that really stuck with me at the time too, especially as a kicker, like you're not going to make every kick and you just had to move on. And that, that's what, you know, Harbaugh was, you know, not only like, you know, you know, with this comment saying like you have to have a short memory, but I could see him just like watching him throughout camp. He was a guy who, you know, he was like probably like 28 at the time that, that, that he seemed like he was in high school, just like with his, his playful attitude. Like he just really, really like loved the game. 
And you, you, you didn't see that for, with all the players in the NFL, like, you know, for a lot of them, like it's just, it's, it's just a job, but you know, for, you know, for, for reasons that make sense as well, but he just, you know, he, like his eyes were always like big and wide open and he was, you know, just always speaking very enthusiastically. Like he genuinely loved, loved his game. It's not surprising that he's still, after all these years, like, like still, still part of football. And, you know, he says stuff that like, people are like, Oh, well, why does he say something like that? But he's just so, you know, he just says what he thinks. That's, that's, that's who he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so speaking of, of a job with no guarantees, the NFL does not guarantee contracts. So you go to camp right. with this dollar figure sitting out there that if you just make the team, you get a check. If you don't make the team, you go home. And uh, there's some stories in the book about you sleeping in your car and uh, not knowing kind of what the next step was going to be. But so we're right before, right now in the middle of July, we're right before um, training camps are now starting to open. Um, Dallas Cowboys were the first ones in this past week. But what what is that? So you get you get a message, you come to camp. Walk us through like the first day or the days, especially when you're not the guy and you're competing with the guy who actually has the job. Um, yeah. What's that like? Give us a, give us kind of a flavor of that. And then we'll talk about your transition. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is you know, the, my experience. And I, I remember talking to other players about it too, like other rookies in the same shoes as me, like, like, like talking to players who like were my, uh, my like rookie, uh, like roommates, we all had the same sort of, sort of thoughts. And I remember for me, like when I first went to Detroit and, you know, the roster time at the size at the time was 80. Then he had to get down to 40. Just the, the, the first day is if you're a marginal player like myself, who most of the players are, like if you're not one of the guys that was drafted in the first handful of rounds, chances are you're not, you're not going to make the team. It, it was, it, it's, it's somewhat terrifying in terms of just being in that room where they, you, you don't get the attention that, or you only, you, the attention that you get almost makes you feel like, they know that you're not going to be around, uh, you know, for example, like, um, you know, the, like there was a punter in Detroit who I could tell was kind of like kind of keeping his, his distance from me. Cause he knew like three weeks from now, I'm probably going to be cut. And I think it's just, you know, w- w- when you go out there every day for practice, it, there's the, the pressure of just making one little mistake. So if you're like an incumbent, you can, you can make mistakes, but when you're the guy who's undrafted, you have to do, you have to do everything right. And so, you know, for, for, for me, like attitude wise, I, you know, I never had a problem, like, you know, like getting to all the meetings on time and showing up for practice and putting every, everything in. But as the camp goes on, um, it was, a, it was a, not so much for me physically as a kicker, but it, it becomes like a mental grind. And a lot of players, you know, would become homesick. I you know, remember when I, when I was with the Colts, um, it was, I, I had a, it, it was a chat. It was challenging for me to stay positive because my roommate the whole time didn't want to be there. He, he was just done with mm-hmm. football. So every night he, you know, we'd be in our bunk beds and he, he would call his girlfriend and the whole time he just, you know, would, would, would complain about football and camp and everything. And, but, you know, a lot of players are like that, you know, and then I understand why, you know, if they've been playing and, you know, you know, getting beat up for many years and they get to camp and they don't think they're going to make the team. It, it, it's really easy to, to, to fall into that. So, um, you know, but that's that, I think that's the biggest thing It's just, you know, for, for the, for the guys like myself, just constantly just like, there's no margin for error, you know, and, and, you know, the, and, and everyone who's in camp was, was probably a star on their, on their mm-hmm. big time team, you know, the star at Georgia, a star at Penn state. And now you're, you know, you're down at the bottom of the depth chart. And it, that's the, that's a big, big adjustment for a lot of guys. So you get to um, your tryout with the jets, um, seems to be going well and your body kind of gives out, as you said before, you become a victim 
of all the training that you did when you thought this was what you were supposed to be doing. But it leads you to the thing I want to talk about now um, and that we'll kind of close out with is the pivot to the career you're in now. So as I mentioned at the beginning, you are a very well-known and very highly regarded yoga instructor, um, healthy mind, healthy body. Um, how did you make that pivot? And then uh, what is that like now for when you go back with all the experience that you had as an athlete, how you transition that into the business world? Yeah, but my, my pivot actually, it, it took a while, you know, as I mentioned earlier, because I, I was so wrapped up my identity as a player that, you know, I had a couple of years of like, like what next? Um, my, my first move before I got into yoga was um, uh, I got into pharmaceutical sales, bio, pharmaceutical biotech. Um, and I did that for about eight years. And the reason being that I was drawn to that, it was, it, they were hiring a lot of former athletes like myself, not knowing what to do next. And it was very, it was something that filled like my competitive drive. Um, I, I eventually moved on from that because I just found it really wasn't, I, I st there was still something in me where I felt like I wanted to, you know, maybe like, like give back with football or, or use something that I learned from football. And I really wasn't able to use it in, in this sales job other than to like, you know, to work hard and, and to sell. And so I was successful at that, but you know, we, we had, a, I was starting to think, okay, this is not quite for me, but what happened was we were, we were having a meeting and, and the, the guest speaker was, was Mike Ruzioni. And this is when I was kind of mm -hmm. on the fence. And, you know, he came in and, you know, he started sharing all these stories about, uh, you know, the, the, you know, their amazing team and all the, all these, you know, s stories that like I, I hadn't heard of, um, the, of like what they overcame beyond just what we saw, like in the movie Miracle Vice. But anyways, he started to apply what he learned, um, you know, to, to, to the business world. And, 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 and he basically said, you know, if you don't love what you're doing, do, do something else, let somebody else take your job and, you know, go find something that you love where you could put your all in it and make more, more of a benefit. And I just, that, that really like hit with me. Like I really wasn't loving what I was doing now and it made more sense for somebody else to do my job. I need to like make this pivot and to, you know, like, 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 like feed off of, or, or move off, move from what I learned from football. And so my wife was into yoga at the time and she, she, um, this was, she tried to get me, it took her a while to even to get me into yoga because it was something I was never really interested in, but that's what, that's why I decided to become a full-time yoga teacher, basically using like what I learned as an athlete and like, you know, the, the, like, like overtraining, um, you know, beating up my body, um, you know, always trying to do more, you know, be, be, always being like, like very competitive. And so I, I brought that into my, I guess you could say like into my yoga teaching and that's, that's what I do today. Like when I, when I, when I teach that's, you know, I, I work a lot with athletes, but even with like people just coming through the studio door that are like non-athletes, so to speak. Um, you know, that's, you know, cause I feel like those are very like universal lessons, you know, like, like, you know, try to find some balance in your life and not always trying to like push more and more and more, which, which I was always trying to do as a, as a kicker and as an athlete. How, um, how important has healthy mind, healthy body, um, uh, aspects of yoga and, and other parts become part of a, for people who don't know, part of, um, the regimen of professional athletics today, whereas, you know, even five years ago, maybe it wasn't. How important is that? Because you've worked with the Steelers, University of Pittsburgh, a bunch of other athletes. How how important has that become to to success on the field these days? 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's huge. And, and we're starting to see some like real world like examples of, of the success, you know, um, you know, going back with like with Phil Jackson, who was way ahead of the curve with this whole thing and in his, his book, Sacred Hoops, and he would require his team to meditate. I remember reading a story where, where Kobe would say like, they'd be in a meeting and the meeting would finish and all of a sudden he'd turn off the lights and he would, he would make them meditate. Um, and, and when he first got there, the team wasn't that successful, but he, you know, Kobe was saying that the meditation skills that they helped develop that, that, you know, when they would be in like a, like a loud arena, they could relax. And, and you know, Kobe, after that, he continued to, to meditate, um, regularly. Um, Tom Brady, uh, has always been a yoga junkie and he, you know, the type of yoga that my wife and I teach, he actually, that's, that's the type of yoga that he actually, that he practices, which is power yoga. And he, when he was a rookie in Boston, he started doing power yoga. And, you know, he always says like, you know, yoga, not only helps him with his flexibility, but the biggest thing it helps him do is with his attitude and being calm. Like he, uh, he says like, you know, just like seeing the field, like where I, I don't overreact. I stay, I stay, stay more calm. Um, he says like yoga has helped him like not take things personal when he, like when he hears criticism about it just like with just like his mindset and so you know all these professional athletes who are like the highest level of their sports have all really like made yoga uh, like a like a like a not just like a little part because i think yoga is in meditation and mindfulness like a lot of programs you'll see just like a little bit like they'll just like dabble with it but it seems like the teams like the bowls like when they required meditation and um, has made a big difference. Um, you know, uh, uh, Pete Carroll, like they require yoga out there and that's made a big difference with the Seattle Seahawks. And you see players talk about it all the time. And I think not only does that help them like during the career with their physical, like helps them with their flexibility and recover, but I think what it also helps them is like their post-career. Cause now they have something now that their bodies have been damaged. Now they already have something. They don't have to go like, go, go to yoga for the first time ever. They already know how to take care of their bodies. They already know how to take care of their mind too. So it also helps set them up for, for beyond, for beyond their, their, their career. Um, what were some of the things that you took from a life of near misses uh, and, and, and ultimate successes that you bring to your business today? Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, being, uh, being okay with, with, with uncertainty. Uh, that was something that has always been a challenge for me. I'll never forget when, uh, Amos Jones, he, he did, uh, psychology test on us and he came down to me one day and he just out of nowhere, I was just like practicing kicking. He says, you always need to know what happens next. I said, wait, what? And he just said, yeah, I just looked at your psychology test and that's what it says about you. But, um, wow. I feel like, you know, my career was always like, like uncertain and I used to always be very uncomfortable about it with it, but like, like with our business now, especially what's happening today with the, with, um, with the COVID world, like it's, it's just be, being okay with uncertainty. So that's, that's something I, I, I feel like has, has really helped. And, um, you know, certainly like we have like business plans, so to speak about, you know, we have goals and like, ide you know, uh, uh, ideas and brainstorming for what we want to do next and so forth. But we try not to get caught up in that because it's just, you know, if we get too set on that with these certain expectations then we get, we get disappointed. So it's just being okay with the, uh, the uncertainty to us as best as we can. Cool. So um, from uncertainty to two certainties, <laughs> one is so many areas that you try to touch, whether it's in athletics, you know, you've got four young kids trying to stay up on youth sports, probably mm. uh, a business side, running a, a thriving business with your wife. How do you stay up to date with everything that you need? And then the second question we like to ask people, and you've touched on it some, but maybe there's a couple more crystallized answers of when you come across a young person, especially maybe it's an athlete, um, or someone transitioning 
in a career or starting anew? What's the advice that you give them? So two yeah. Questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so up to date, you know, we, we, we keep in like regular contact with other yoga studio owners, actually like in, in, in other cities, New York, LA places that are like, like ahead of the curve, so to speak, and, and, and with the trend. So, you know, one thing we've always tried to do is, is, is not be, you know, that, that yoga studio or business that just to stay the same way. So we're always looking at like, what else is happening out there and what else is happening that, 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 that they're doing successful that maybe we can bring into, into our yoga studio. So that's something that we've been doing constantly. And so like our studio has always, our business has always been, we've always been tweaking it and evolving. So I think it's always important to, to see, you know, to, to keep an eye on like your overall, overall industry. Um, and in terms of advice, I, I think, you know, like for young people in particular, um, I think a big thing right now is what we're seeing is, is, is over-specialization in one sports, you know, my, mm -hmm. my son who's 13, he's going through that right now where he's starting to get the pressure from, you know, that, that he wants to be on this travel team that plays year round. He feels like that's the only way that he can get better. But I, I think, you know, we're seeing so many athletes, young athletes, 12, 13 years old, you know, getting surgery already. We, we, you know, I know from my daughter who went to, um, uh, she played division three field hockey and her freshman year, a handful of, of, of girls quit because they've been playing travel field hockey for so long. When they got to college at 18, they were burned out. And, and I think it's, it, it, it is, it, it's trying to find some more balance um, in, in sports. Like, uh, you know, Pat Narduzzi was saying the other day, like all his recruit, the recruiting class, hundred percent of them were multi-sport athletes and how much he, he values that, not someone who just plays football. And so, you know, if you play football, but then you also play basketball, then, then there's rest on your body and you play baseball and you play track. And, and then there's also put in time to rest. But I, I think that's definitely, you know, there's a billboard here in Pittsburgh. UPMC actually has like a specific name for it now for this overuse for young athletes. But it basically says, hey, do you have a young athlete who's who's been overtraining? Come in and see this. I mean, you know, so there's there's like a market for these, these injuries now for these surgeries. And it's just something that, you know, like I, I was reading a quote the other day from this major league baseball player. And he just said, like, it doesn't matter how good you are when you're 12 and 13, you know, if you want to play professional baseball, how good are you when you're 18 and 20? So you don't need to like put all this time and energy in your body into it at such a young age, you know, it's just, it's, it's more about pacing yourself. And so I think, you know, uh, you know, just being aware that, you know, it's, to find some, find some balance in the body and to not beat it up at such a young age. Uh, so last question. Uh, when you were coming out of college and you, you knew you were going to try and pursue this professional dream, did you have a plan B or you never even thought there was no plan B <laughs> for, for kind of going into the business world? No, I, I, I never, I never really had much of a plan B, My you know, my plan uh -huh. A was, was, was NFL. Not only did I think I was going to play in the NFL, I, I, I even thought I was going to be like one of the very few NFL kickers in, in the hall of fame. It was, and, and I, and I, I owe most of this to, um, you know, this was part of my ADD, which I said earlier is, is good and bad. And because I only thought of that, I, I, I had a hard time coming off that track. And that's why like when my career ended with the Jets, it just took me a while to, to come off that. And that's actually something that, that 
I, I've been able to help myself a lot with over the years with yoga and meditation where, um, you know, like, like Giannis had that amazing, uh, I don't know if you've seen that video out there where he talks about just being, like being in the present moment, not, yeah. not think about the future and the past. And, and so that, that's a, that's like a, like a yoga practice where like, when you're in a pose that that's all, that's all you're focusing on. And so that's actually helped me manage my ADD to the mm. point where, and I still have it. I'll always have it, but now I'm able to, to catch myself quicker when I start to like, you know, like something goes wrong at the business or whatever. And instead of hanging on to that, I'm able to catch myself and just, and just get more back in the present moment. So it's something I can apply to beyond sports. Cool. Uh, and then lastly, Sean, most importantly, how do people find your current business, the book? Um, and if people wanted to find out more about you, where would they go? So, Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, so, so yoga wise meditation, um, amazing yoga.net. Um, we're, you know, we have classes here in Pittsburgh, but we have a lot of virtual offerings, uh, of on-demand videos. And then, uh, for myself and for my book, seanconley.net, where, uh, I have some videos as well, as well as like some workshops and retreats that we do for, for yoga and meditation. Cool. And what about social? Oh yeah. Social Instagram, uh, and Twitter, but mostly I'm on, on Instagram, I guess would be my primary. Mm -hmm. Quite, quite the visual. So, um, so Sean, I wanted to thank you for joining us because I think this is a really interesting time, especially transitions from careers. We're still going on, but, but the healthful and mindfulness side of, um, of kind of the business world, especially in the sports business world is something that we don't talk about. I don't think we've talked about it before. I don't think we've had a, you're our first yoga instructor in five years that we've had on. So, All right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been tremendous. Um, you know, the book is certainly a worthwhile read. It's a lot of fun. It came out during COVID and it's having kind of a second life, hopefully, especially as teams go back to training camp. Um, but once again, Sean Conley, the name of the book is The Point After. Thanks for joining us on The Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe. I had a blast. I appreciate it. Cool. And once again, this has been The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito flying solo this week. Uh, thanks to our producer, Taylor DiBernardo, once again, wearing that kind of retro Denver Nuggets hat today as, as he's in the background. Um, but once again, this has been The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, and we will see you down the road. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.